Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back in. It's the Lions 24-7 podcast. We're excited to get back into Beaver Stadium here in Happy Valley on Saturday. We'll be there Early in the morning and getting ready for that noon kickoff, the Ohio Bobcats from the MAC come to town. Both of these programs want to know. Certainly expectations very different for these two schools and these two teams in Penn State trying to build that case as a September riser. They have trips to Auburn uh, on the horizon after this one. And then Big Ten play gets underway October and you got eight consecutive matchups. So really important proving ground for the Nittany Lions. We're going to talk about all that and more. With Daniel Gallon and Mark Brennan, my colleagues at Lions 24-7, we'll have a game preview, Penn State players to watch, some concerns we have, also what we project as positives and strengths. And there are several of them to look at for the Nittany Lions in this matchup. But as I mentioned earlier in this week, we're going to try to focus in on the opposing squad each and every Thursday to kick off the show. And we'll do just that to begin things here. As promised, we're going to get a longer look at the Ohio Bobcats right now with Steve Helwick, who covers the Mac for HustleBelt.com, which is part of the SB Nation. Steve will actually be in Happy Valley this weekend up in the press box with us covering this game from a different angle. So we're going to get perspective from you from a different angle right now. Steve, welcome to the Lions 24-7 podcast. Thanks for having me on. Looking forward to this week. Really exciting games from both Penn State and Ohio a week ago. We both came out with narrow victories, and I'm I'm excited for week two of uh, this action. We've obviously been discussing the potential for Penn State to go out there and, and win handedly, get to play a bunch of guys. One of those happy afternoons in Happy Valley where everyone goes home and feels good about themselves. Let's start here, though. What can Ohio do that can, can kind of mess up that projection for Penn State? Right off the top of this interview, I'm just curious what stands out about these Bobcats through week one that you think could maybe potentially uh, have people thinking they could play a little bit of a spoiler role? Potentially. I'd have to say that starts with the passing attack that Ohio exhibited week one against FAU. That was not a strength of the Bobcats last year. But a lot of times, quarterbacks make a huge leap from year two to year three as a starter. I think that's probably the biggest leap you see with quarterbacks in their progression. And that's exactly what I think we are seeing with Curtis Rourke right now. This is his third season as a starter. Didn't have as much success in his first two, but Curtis Rourke had a heck of a performance on Saturday against FAU. Ohio was the only MAC team to pull off an upset in week one, and a lot of it was just because of Rourke's presence in the pocket. He had 345 passing yards, completed nearly 80% of his passes with four touchdowns, averaging over 10 yards attempt. That's a loaded stat line, one of the best passer ratings in the country right now. 
and he, he spread the wealth through a variety of targets. So it wasn't like he was just relying on one receiver to get all that production. So I think Ohio's passing attack is the most improved part of this offense that we're going to see in 2022. They just lost their starting running back, O'Shawn Allison, for the year right before the season started. But the backup, C.A. Bangura, had a really good debut also against FAU. Offense moved much better than we ever saw it move in 2021. And Ohio put up 41 points against an FAU defense, which it only allowed 13 to Charlotte in the year and the week prior. So Ohio's offense was certainly rolling at the newly named Frank Solich Field on week one. Yeah, there's a couple things that stood out to me just reviewing that first game. And, and the first was the fact that Rourke had a great game, almost 80% completion. You mentioned the five total touchdowns. We saw that from Sean Clifford, the five total touchdowns in week one. Penn State's coming off of a matchup in which they faced a very pass-happy Purdue offense. Aiden O'Connell was uh, trying to sling it around, completed 50% of his passes. But when you look at your Rourke and you say year two to year three, um, what exactly was he during that initial sample size and, and how far has he maybe come along? Yeah, uh, he was a little more shaky with some of the downfield play that we saw in week one against FAU. He he wasn't as confident on some of those throws earlier. And last year, some of those struggles, one of them lo- resulted in a loss to a fellow Pennsylvania team, Duquesne from the FCS, where they never really got their passing attack going in those games. So that, but work did show some progress toward the end of last season. There was an upset they pulled against Miami, Ohio, where he had almost 300 yards and three touchdowns and remained relatively mistake free. But in the closing game against Bowling Green, that might have been his worst start to date, where he could just completed half of his passes and had a trio of interceptions. So we we've seen uh, Curtis Rourke be a little inconsistent before, but. I really liked what I saw out of him. It just looked like the best version that we've seen yet. It was a career high in passing yards. It was one of the most accurate performances of his career. And he he didn't even have to run that much to get the production. I know he took a few sacks, but his brother, Nathan Rourke, was a star at Ohio in the previous years. But Nathan did so much with his legs. And I remember Nathan telling me that Curtis has – he has some more pop to his arm and he's not as mobile as a quarterback, but he, he can throw downfield. And I think we're finally starting to see Nathan's comments about his brother come to fruition. And Cur- Curtis had a heck of a debut after, uh, after, and this is, I think he could develop into an elite all Mac quarterback this year. When you look at the crop of quarterbacks in the conference with Miami, Ohio's Brett Gabbert hurt right now, there's no quarterback with all Mac designation that's currently in the league. So I think Curtis could rise into that upper crop of Mac QBs this season. Rourke certainly won't be able to do it on his own against this Penn State defense. You mentioned C.A. Bengura stepping up at, at running back, having 114 yards on 13, uh, 23 carries last uh, game. That's about a five-yard per clip. And then James Bostic, uh, former Vanderbilt receiver, w- was the favorite target the other day. It was 136 yards and a touchdown on six receptions. Can you tell us a little bit more about those two members of the supporting cast and where else Rourke is going to be looking against the Nittany Lions? Yeah, James Bostick really came out of nowhere for that week one performance. He had more yards in that game than he ever had in a, one of his prior three seasons in college football at Vanderbilt and last year at Ohio. He wasn't a big contributor for the Bobcats last year and really rose out into a premier role. And now he's leading the Mac in receiving yardage. He had six catches for 136 yards. Rourke hit him on a deep ball, also hit him on a tunnel screen for a touchdown. 
6'3", he seems to have a pretty versatile route tree in terms of what he's been able to do. I said he's someone who you can hit deep, somebody who can work in space on a screen. So I, th- I really like what I've seen from Bostick in the small sample size that we've had so far this season. And he was a key part of the reason that they beat FAU. It was a very slippery uh, defender for FAU secondary to tackle too. So he got a Got it past a lot of defensive backs on his way to 136 yards. Then you mentioned C.A. Bangura. Uh, C.A. Bangura is kind of a big back. He's six six feet, 200 pounds, a little bit of a bruiser inside. And he's replacing O'Shawn Allison, which is a pretty big role he's going to have to fill here. He played seldom last year, uh, maintained his redshirt playing in just four games. But I think Bangura's they're going to have to rely on him a lot this year now that he's going to be the premier back here at Ohio. So they're going to punch it to him a lot of times. I know Penn State, they, they stopped Purdue's run defense, I thought, to a pretty good extent in their first game without Brent Pry and with Manny Diaz running the defense. So I think he's going to be pretty challenged against this Penn State front where you have guys like P.J. Mustafer and uh, Curtis Jacobs just manning that defense. So I, I do think that it'll be a challenge there. For a secondary back, they have Julian Ross, who's been playing college football since 2017. And he's he'll be the secondary back to get split some carries with Bangura. Um, and it's crazy these guys from 2017 are still playing. Of course, we've got the starting quarterback to focus in here on Penn State, who, who fits that. Um, but like Ohio, almost 500 total yards, uh, no turnovers. They had just about an 11 minute advantage in time of possession, and yet it was dicey at the end. Right? They had a 17 point lead midway through that fourth quarter. It gets trimmed in a hurry down to three points. FAU actually gets another possession, nears midfield. But Ohio holds it, holds on to that lead. They win on home turf. And if I'm not mistaken, this was their first win in September against an FBS opponent since, uh, since 2018. So a long span there. Where is this program right now? A lot of success under Frank Zolich, uh, eight, nine, ten win seasons. Um, three and nine last year in year one under Tim Albin. They're off to a strong start with the one and oh. But how much ground does this program have to make up compared to, say, where they were seven, eight, nine years ago? Well, last year's Ohio team was a transition state. They had such a long streak of non-losing seasons under Frank Solich. And then he just unexpectedly stepped down before the season. And last year was their first losing year since 2008. They went three and nine. They lost to an FCS team. It was a disastrous start. They got a little better at the end of the year when they beat They beat bowl-eligible teams like Miami, Ohio, and Eastern Michigan in back-to-back weeks, which was pretty impressive. So Ohio improved as the season went on. But now that we're talking this year, Ohio was the only MAC team I said to pull off an upset in week one. The MAC East is already wide open. Kent State lost its quarterback last year in Dustin Crum. Uh, he's, He's working on his NFL dream now. And then Miami, their quarterback, Brett Gabbard got hurt in week one against Kentucky. He's going to be out for for a while, according to head coach Chuck Martin. So now you're looking at an Ohio team, which based on just the one week sample size that we have of what we saw against FAU, this is a team that's competing in a wide open Mac East. This, this Mac East is, was wide open right now. Kent state lost 25 to Washington. Miami lost by 24 to Kentucky and then Bowling green lost by 28 to UCLA, those are probably the three other main contenders in the division. And Buffalo and Akron don't really seem to fit that mold. So with the passing attack that we saw from Ohio in week one, and then if if their offense can really kick it into this gear under Tim Albin in year two, 
you're talking about an Ohio team that could sneak back into bowl eligibility and already go ahead of schedule on the rebuild just due to the stature of the conference and the division that they're in. Now, of course, 10 years ago, this Ohio squad comes to Happy Valley, pulls off a, a win. It was Bill O'Brien's first game as head coach of the Nittany Lions. Tim Alvin was asked about that in his, in his game week press conference back on Monday. Tried to downplay that. He was an offensive coordinator for, for Ohio that day. Um, when you kind of look at the Bobcats heading in this direction, where they came from last year, um, just about how insurmountable does the matchup to you look on the surface? On the surface, I would say it looks – I think Ohio played better than I thought they would in week one, and I think Penn State actually played better than I thought they would in week one. If Penn State doesn't throw that pick six to Chris Jefferson in the second half, it looked like they had that game wrapped up, especially in the time that Sean Clifford was playing uh, before he had that injury in the third quarter. So I, I do think that this matchup looks – a little. I, I think this is Penn State's easier of their two MAC matchups this year. I think Central Michigan is going to present more of a challenge later down the road. We saw them put up 44 points on Oklahoma State with a really explosive offensive second half. But Ohio in this game, I think this Bobcats team still has a lot to learn, even though they had an incredible debut. I think consistency is something that can be a little hard to build when you're working on rebuilding a team as Tim Albin's doing now in the second year of the transition from the Frank Solich era. There are a lot of good things we observe from Ohio in this game, but there, there are some athletes on the other side of the ball that they're going to have to go up against. They're not, they didn't block anyone like P.J. Mustafer against FAU. They did not target a cornerback like Joey Porter Jr. I mean, he had he broke up six passes against Purdue, and Purdue kept targeting him. They targeted him 14 times, which I don't even understand. And that was right. something, wasn't it? Yeah, Purdue did have a lot of success in getting Charlie Jones open down the field. So th there are parts of Penn State secondary they were able to expose and get some yardage at, but I don't think Ohio is going to have much success targeting Joey Porter Jr. So when you look at the athletes across Penn State's defense, I do think that Ohio is long shots in this game. And I think this could end up in a similar fashion to Penn State's victory over Ball State last year. Um, we talk about the ability for the Bobcats to put up points on the board and going up against this Penn State defense. How about them preventing Penn State from scoring points in, in bunches on Saturday? Uh, they're coming off of a performance against FAU. Uh, they gave up 464 total yards, 364 of those through the air, uh, 25 first downs for FAU, and, and the Owls also converted seven of 13 third down tries during the course of that game. Ohio did come away with the two takeaways, uh, which were key against FAU. But if they're going to get it done defensively in Happy Valley uh, against a team that, as you said, has its playmakers, how do they possibly go about attacking Penn State? And who are the guys that are going to maybe shine if they have some of that success? In Ohio, you're going to have to stop Penn State's passing attack. Penn State's passing attack is the is a stronger suit in their offense, as we saw against Purdue, and it was all season last year. That's a talented receiving core. Uh, Parker Washington didn't get as involved as I thought he was going to be on week one, but you saw some good stuff from uh, Mitchell Tinsley, who was a 1,400-yard wideout at WKU, and then Keandre Lambert-Smith last week. So I think Penn State has a lot of weapons. You add Brenton Strange to that and their affinity to throw to running backs as on the wheel routes and on halfback screens, as we saw a couple times. Ohio has a lot of options they need to contain in this game. And one defender that I would look at if I'm Penn State – 
is Ben Johnson. He was a linebacker last year, transitioned to free safety this year. He was all over the field in week one for Ohio. He had 15 tackles, which is the most by any Bobcat since 2019. I think this is somebody who can rise into that star defender role after playing such a minimal role in the past two years. I think Ben Johnson is going to be a key part of that defense. Another name I look for is another transition linebacker, Jack McCrory, who switched to defensive end this year, picked up uh, the Bobcats only sack, uh, one of their only two sacks in week one. And I think he's going to be someone who's going to try to spearhead that pass rush for Ohio and also stop Penn state in the ground game. Now, if I'm Ohio, I want to keep Penn State's run game bottled up because Purdue kept them pretty one-dimensional last week where they only broke out for one double-digit rush, and that was the play right before the Sean Clifford pick six. That was Penn State's only double-digit rush of the game. None of Penn State's running backs averaged more than four yards a carry in that game. So I think Trust that- me, we, we've got that part of it well covered over at our site this week. <laughs> yeah, they never had a 100-yard rusher last year, which was crazy because Penn State had Journey Brown and Saquon Barkley who were having such good running performances in the years Oh, before. we know. Oh, we know. that. And this is a game where I think a lot of people are saying if it doesn't happen this game against mm-hmm. Ohio, when's it going to happen over the course of 2022? So there is some considerable pressure. I know you talked about the passing attack, but for Penn State to go to insert itself in the offensive front and also let these running backs maneuver. They got a couple special freshmen, but to your point against Purdue, there were the occasional spurts, but it was overall pretty bottled up running back group. Yeah. I I think everyone's been waiting for the return of the lawn boys. And then just the, the true freshman I thought would spearhead that rushing attack a bit more against Purdue. But yes, I, I do agree that Penn State needs to go into this Ohio game with that strategy of trying to, take the Bobcats out on the ground and that should be their premier focus to get that honed before they have to go into the conference play with Ohio. They were one of the worst run defenses last year. I think they ranked 106th and stopping the run, but against FAU, they did a really good job of stifling FAU around the line of scrimmage. I think FAU in that game only had broke out for one double digit run and they, they only had a hundred rushing yards on 29 carries, which amounts to just a little more than three per carry. So Ohio did a really good job of stopping Larry McCammon and co at the line of scrimmage, forcing FAU to pass more. So I think that Penn State should still attack this Ohio run defense. You, you have to get that established because you don't want a situation like you had in Iowa last year if you're Penn State where you don't have a reliable ground game and you're going to have to rely on passing. Even if Sean Clifford gets banged up again, you're going to have to rely on just a one dimensional attack to move the offense. And I'm looking back at that ball state matchup that you referenced a bit earlier. It was a 44 to 13 uh, win for Penn state. They were up 24 to six at the half and just checking their rushing stats in that one. Um, And Noah Kane got a lot of work, but as was often the case last year, not a lot of production from a 20 carries for 69 yards. Um, and beyond that, Kevon Lee got eight touches. So this is a game where we'll see how it shapes up. But they, they tried to rush the ball last year against Ball State, and it was one of those early warning signs against the Mac school that it wasn't coming together for them. We've talked a lot about offense and defense during this conversation. What's the summary of, of the special team situation for Ball State coming into Beaver Stadium? 
Ohio was not a good field goal kicking team last year. I think they only hit 67% of their kicks, which was not an acceptable mark. Anytime you send your kicker on the field, you expect to score. So Ohio attempted two short field goals with their new kicker, Nathaniel Vakos, a freshman in week one, and he made both of them. So that's always a reliable start. You never know with college kickers. I mean, we've seen some easy miss chip shot field goals in this past week. So he's two for two in his career. So that's that's a good start out for Ohio. And then in terms of kick returning, Ohio's had Julian Ross return kicks for a really long time. He's that guy who's been playing since 2017. He's had an all-MAC designation before as a kick returner. He's brought kicks back to the house before. I remember him doing one in 2020. So I do think that Ohio actually has one of the better kick return units in the MAC, and that's something you have to watch out there when Julian Ross, the backup running back, gets the ball on his hands. But other than that, that's that's basically a summary so far of the Ohio special teams. Um, aside from trying to figure out how many flavors from the creamery you're going to sample in Beaver Stadium press box on Saturday, let's project this game a little bit from your standpoint. How do you see this one shaking out? If you have a score prediction, feel free to throw it our way. But ultimately, what do you see as, as uh, Ohio – Penn State uh, by the time we get through 60 minutes of football? I think Penn State's offense looks better than I thought it would this year, even if their rushing attack didn't look as good as I expected in week one. I really like the aggressiveness they showed right before halftime in attempting to score there, and it paid off with Brenton Strange's touchdown, and that allowed Penn State to get the winning touchdown. So I think we're going to see a little more aggressiveness this year from Franklin and the offense after last year it wasn't really a good offensive end to the season, uh, especially in that Outback Bowl where they put up just 10 points. I would say in this one that Penn State does break 40. I'm going to say uh, a score I could see happening is something like 42 to 16. Is probably yeah. 42 to 16 is what I would say is my score prediction for this game. Penn State comes out early. They score the first three touchdowns of the game. Ohio gets maybe a touchdown or a field goal before half and then gets uh, the rest of their points when the game's settled already in the second half. And you might see some of the twos and you might see Penn state working in some of the true freshman uh, skill position threats a bit more. So I think Penn state wins this game comfortably and jumps to two and O. And I think that the Nittany lions will be satisfied with their performance here. I think Penn State fans would would sign up for that. Uh, of course, if you threw in a 100-yard rusher, they'd definitely be on board. But uh, you know, a comfortable win sounds pretty good after a very, very dramatic win in week one, oddly in a different circumstance. Hey, we really appreciate the conversation. Um, we'll see what happens in a couple of weeks. We may hear back from you, uh, as you mentioned, a couple MAC teams on the schedule for Penn State this week. But if you want to follow coverage uh, from Steve Helwick, he's at hustlebelt.com, which is part of the SB Nation Network. And, uh, hey, great stuff from Ohio. I can't imagine how you do this for every team across the conference, but we really like it, uh, the information you brought us on the Bobcats. Yeah, thank you for having me on. Looking forward to this game Saturday and looking forward to my trip up to Happy Valley. We'll be right back on the Lions 24-7 podcast. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Let's keep the conversation moving forward and bring it back to the Nittany Lions who are bracing themselves for a return to Beaver Stadium and the crowd that awaits. And just talking to some of the freshmen, some of the new contributors on this team, a lot of excitement about this opportunity after starting the season on a Thursday night in a hostile environment. So to talk about this matchup, the anticipation and potential pitfalls that Penn State might face, let's bring in our Lions 24-7 colleagues Daniel Gallen, Mark Brennan, you've seen them a bunch on the podcast. You'll continue to see them as this season progresses. Fellas, another interesting game week. The nice thing is we didn't have to wrap it up on a Thursday afternoon and, and, and get into game coverage. We've had some time to really process the last game, get into the next one, talk about some big picture stuff. And here we are now under 48 hours away from kickoff, recording on a Thursday afternoon. Mark Brennan, you've covered your fair share of openers in Beaver Stadium. I'd like to think that the attitude can probably be defined by the crowd going into this one. Aside, aside from the excitable nature of getting back in Beaver Stadium, it's going to be prove it to us in a lot of regards for this Penn State football squad, and we'll see if they can do it. Yeah, I think the fact that they opened with a win at Purdue uh, gives them a little bit of wiggle room uh, with the fans maybe not going, uh, you know, turning on them too quickly. And I also think the fact that this is a pretty good matchup for Penn State uh, you're looking at a, an Ohio team that isn't super athletic. You're looking at a Penn State team that is super athletic. Uh, so I think it'll be a really good matchup. But yeah, I've been to a lot of these openers. Uh, and I think after the last two seasons, people are looking at this in the sense of, okay, okay, you, you, we, we've heard all the talk. We've heard everything that's going on. Let's see everything up close and personal. Uh, and the fact that they get to see some of these young players, I thought that was exciting out at Purdue with the seven true freshmen playing, a whole bunch of them. Uh, traveling, uh, people are really jacked to get a look at you know Nick Singleton, uh, Allen, uh, Drew Alar. I mean, all those people, all those kids. So I think it's I think people are people are excited and rightfully so. And we'll kind of run down that group of freshmen and, and younger components of the roster that we think we might get a peek at later in the conversation. But I want to begin this this discussion, guys, with our look at practice. We always get that back into our regular groove now on Wednesday evenings. So it's it's perfectly situated in the midweek. They're through a couple of their most important, most physical practices. So you start to get a good semblance of where this team might be at. Not always going to get forthright answers at this stage of the season moving ahead. But we got some clarity on a few items, and I think – the fact that we didn't see somebody there uh, also stood out to us, right, Daniel? Yeah, last night at uh, practice in Haluba Hall, uh, we were indoors as some uh, weather was coming through uh, Happy Valley. Uh, we did not see tight end Theo Johnson. Um, he didn't play at Purdue. Uh, he traveled. James Franklin said that they were hopeful that he was going to play, ultimately didn't, and he said that he would hopefully be back this week. Obviously, that means more work for Brenton Strange and Tyler Warren and potentially more work for Khalil Dinkins, uh, the redshirt freshman, uh, depending on you know what kind of you know two and three tight end sets that they use. James Franklin said that they're planning on using a lot of those uh, at Purdue. Uh, Bryce Effner kind of filled in as the third tight end, the sixth offensive lineman in some of those. So that was the big absence yesterday. And I think that the other uh, little 
I guess, personnel thing that was interesting was that in the quarterback lineup, uh, Drew Aller was going through uh, going through all the drills in the number two spot again. So it seemed like James Franklin had kind of left that open for interpretation um, earlier this week, but it was kind of business as usual uh, from what we saw last week with the quarterbacks. And I have two follow-ups on, on that. Um, let's make it clear, they're in a line going through drills, and that's the order, not orchestrating an offense. Uh, we're not seeing first-string offense, uh, second-string offense at large. But th- that's what we saw. And then the other you know, the, the other kind of, okay, well, this is starting to add up now, moment came from James Franklin. I asked about, you know, who's running your scout team? All, all the scholarship quarterbacks have their regular roster numbers. You're not seeing them in scout jersey numbers. We're not watching the scout team offense in action. And James Franklin uh, gave us a pretty good answer there. He said Christian Veyer is getting mixed in there. Bo Prabula is getting mixed in there. Mason Stahl, who almost had to play quarterback for this team last year against Rutgers with the flu situation, now listed at wide receiver, apparently still playing some quarterback on the scout team. The one name that was missing from there, aside from starter Sean Clifford, Mark, was Drew Aller. And that leads us to continue to get our hopes up, and I think the fan base even more so that we're going to see number 15 in some extended action if things go according to plan on Saturday. Yeah, and going back to what you said earlier, Tyler, you know, we've been to enough practices over the years to to to, to understand who's running with, with what team. I mean, even, even in the preseason, up until James Franklin announced that Aller was the second teamer, uh, Veyu or Veyer, I'm sorry, I'm gonna I'm gonna be off on that for the rest of that kid's career. But he was taking the second team snaps the whole entire time up until that very week, and then we go to practice, and what happens? Aller's taking the second team snaps. So that's you know the other cool thing about uh, the home opener is we'll be there in the press box, and one of the, one of the, one of the things that that I think is really cool about being there is we really keep an eye on everything that's going on down on that field. So get into that in game uh, in game thread. And uh, we will tell you who's running with what team. And it's usually very accurate. Uh, I mean, right before the game, it's pretty easy to tell who's where. Last week, a little bit of, of a surprise in Keaton Ellis, but we saw that early. Uh, and, and just that sort of thing. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't think anybody is surprised, even though James Franklin kind of knocked that down. And I think that's going to be his approach for the rest of the year. I think he understands that even in a limited uh, – time that people saw drew aller that there was a wow factor on the on those throws and, and the best throw was one that 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 tyler warren dropped so i think it's the job of the head coach and i have no problem with it whatsoever to try to maybe tamp that down uh just a little bit but it sure was exciting exciting seeing him against purdue playing well and i think it's going to be exciting seeing him play against ohio if i if this game goes the way a lot of us think it will i think he's going to get some significant snaps you mentioned our pregame coverage at lines247.com with that from the press box uh, piece. And, and you get the early bird special at, at the press box and you get that going early for us, Mark. And Daniel and I eventually join in. And there is going to be a lot to watch with our binoculars. A few names that we have to keep an eye on. Uh, Kaziah Izzard, Smith Vilbert, Jalen Reed, Theo Johnson. We already did a good job, I think, through Daniel addressing Theo Johnson and uh, kind of wanting to see what shakes out there. Is he going to give it a go? Is he going to be in street clothes? But um, you kind of put these situations in different categories. Jalen Reed plays extensively at safety. He didn't start. Keaton Ellis did, but him and Zaki Wheatley got a lot of run. Uh, we saw Jair Brown move up to the second level at some points in that game, which which opened the room for, for three safeties on the field. And yeah, there's, there's a lot of room for these guys. But Jalen Reed, uh, coming out of that game, looked like a lower body injury, needed some assistance exiting the field. So we came to practice yesterday. I didn't know what to expect, and there was number seven, 
going through his reps as usual, as far as we could tell. And, and I think that is a really good sign. We got an indication that things were trending maybe in that direction when James Franklin was quick to mention Jalen Reed being in that mix at safety moving forward uh, on Tuesday. We talked about this, but you know, you're going to continue to see Tyler Elsden and Kobe King at middle linebacker. You're going to continue to see Keaton Ellis and Zaki Wheatley and Jalen Reed getting run at safety. Uh, There's no rush to name these guys as sol uh, solid starters moving forward. I mean, the other guys there are, are just kind of unknown commodities right now with, with Smith Vilbert and Kaziah Izzard, guys who played quite a bit of football at the, at the end of last year and had a little bit of a breakout moment at times. Haven't seen them in game action. They didn't travel to Purdue. And according to James Franklin, he was not ready to issue a public statement on their status, which decode that for me, Daniel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think we'll I think the way to decode it is to say that we'll we'll find out Saturday. Um, you know, what what the what the status of those players is, you know, when they come into the game, what unit they're rolling with. Um, I do think that it is pretty surprising um, that we haven't seen either of them, um, especially given how much experience they got down the stretch last year, what we kind of saw from them down the stretch last year. But at the same time, at both of those spots, there's been guys coming back from injury, um, some new freshmen coming in that have that have made impressions. So um, it's it's pretty crowded. And I think that, you know, in a way that we were watching that game last Thursday night, you didn't think oh, they could use Kaziah Izzard here. Oh, they could use Smith Vilbert here. So I think that'll be an interesting situation to watch on Saturday to see when those guys come in and how much time they get when they do come in. Yeah, well, both of those guys started in the bowl game, right? If they didn't start, they both played extensively. And obviously, Smith Vilbert had something of a breakout game. So I think the fact that they didn't play, you can chalk that up to depth. Uh, but the fact that they didn't travel, I mean, that's, you know, <laughs> I, mm -hmm. I don't know. I mean, so, something something's up there. Uh, James Franklin doesn't want to address it at this point, which is obviously his prerogative, uh, but something's definitely going on there. Yeah, and by the way, they both full participants, again, from what we saw in practice, um, and particularly Smith Vilbert flashed to me a little bit, firing off the edge at one point, showing off a little bit of strength on a power rush. So we'll see if they get those guys back, but Daniel mentioned it. Depth is not a concern right now. It probably will be as injuries pile up. It's the way football works, but here in the second week of the season, they're in good shape. It's probably... You know, good news for a guy like Deny Dennis Sutton uh, on this Saturday if Smith Filbert's not out there, at least in terms of him getting longer looks. And someone like Jordan Vandenberg and, and, and Zane Durant could benefit from Keziah Izzard not being out there. But obviously going to be important for those guys. They know what the depth situation looks like. I'm sure they do not want to miss snaps, reps, games, travel, what have you, because you can get buried in a hurry in this defensive line room right now. Um, let's get into this matchup because last time you saw Ohio play Penn State in an opener, Mark, you, you were part of the, the shocked crew at, at, at Beaver Stadium. It was a different time for this program. Fast forward a decade and, and you know, Ohio's not coming out of their best season. They, they've gone downhill a bit since Solich left, but you know, they come off 1-0. Uh, they're able to, to kind of right the ship at the end of last year, as we just heard in that interview. 2-2 two and two in their final four after starting 1-7, and seven, but Sorry, all due respect, tip of the cap to Ohio. I'm sure they'll come in, fight hard, but there's a reason they're a 25-and-a-half-point underdog based on where you're looking, and there's a reason, as I'll get to later, that I think Penn State's going to blow that spread out of the water. Yeah, you know, one of the one of the good things about – one of the few good things about covering a Thursday game is you're able to get back and watch a ton of football on Saturday. So I was able to go on ESPN+, Plus. I think that's what it was, and watch that entire – uh, Ohio FAU game, and I, I touched on it earlier. 
the quarterback Rourke is is good. He's he's not great. Uh, I don't think he's as good as the kid from Purdue, but he's he's a really good quarterback. Uh, but th- that team just looks slow. I mean, I think they gave up four sacks. Uh, the secondary was getting torched by FAU. Uh, and I just think that's a, a recipe for disaster against a Penn State team uh, that you, you can say a lot about this team, but, but ath- athleticism is obviously one of its strengths, and I think that makes it, makes it for a tough matchup. But, yeah, it's a very good quarterback. I, I think – that the I think O'Connell, the quarterback that they faced out of Purdue, is going to be one of the better quarterbacks they face all year in terms of just pure passing. I mean, he got the ball out quickly. He made some great, great reads against blitzes. I mean, I, I was like watching this stuff and like somebody's blitzing and he's either throwing behind it or going the, the other way. I mean, it was like, wow, that was like pro level stuff. And I don't think this kid is quite that good. So I think that really prepared Penn State for it. And again, I just think uh, physically and athletically, it's going to be it's going to be tough for Ohio. The thing that's tricky for me here, guys, is you look at the the primary weapons that Rourke used against FAU, and this was a game where they built that big lead uh, and they backpedaled to the finish line. They were able to win, but uh, Rourke goes to James Bostic for almost 140 yards. Bostic is a guy who didn't didn't have that many yards all of last season. Is he going to do that again? What's it going to look like against a Power Five program? Um, he was at Vanderbilt at one point. He was with Ohio last year, hadn't made his mark. And, and unless he's setting the stage for a real big season for himself, it looks like an outlier in week one. Um, so we're going to have to see what that looks like for them at, at main receiver. And then C.A. Bengura, as we just discussed uh, during that interview, you know, he is kind of fresh into this thing. He had a really nice game in that role, being the primary back for them against FAU. But just keep reiterating that FAU is not Penn State. And, and this is a major difference. And I keep coming back to speed here, just overall team speed. Initially, I was thinking on the perimeter, but I'm just thinking now in, in this backfield, you hope to see that unleashed in some way. You've got to see it unleashed in some way, that breakaway speed from this offensive backfield. But to me, even on the perimeter, defensively, offensively, and on special teams, just a lot of ways for Penn State to score touchdowns in a hurry and on a dime in this matchup. And I think there'll be a few of those moments. I know explosive plays were not a positive when James Franklin went back and looked at Purdue. If that, that's got to be the case today because there's just way too much of a talent overmatch on the perimeter in the center of this game, there's just not an area where we can look and say Ohio can hold its own there for four quarters because it's not just the athleticism across the first team for Penn State. I think they're going to prove it too deep and, and in some cases down to the three deep as this game goes on that they're just going to be able to, to just kind of slam dunk on Ohio in certain spots. The the explosive plays are really, I think, what you want to see on Saturday from Penn State when you know that they have a speed advantage, you know they have a talent advantage, you know that some of these guys like Nick Singleton, like a, even a Parker Washington, um, we've seen Keandre Lambert-Smith do it before, that these guys will be able to be in situations where they can just kind of beat guys one-on-one, take advantage of their you know superior uh, physical gifts and I think that that is what you're looking for, um, you know, in a game against a Mac team. You want to see that there's a really distinct difference between, you know, a Mac cornerback and a Big Ten wide receiver, um, especially given the way that Penn State has been recruiting some of these positions the past couple of years. So obviously there weren't many uh, explosive plays against Purdue. Penn State did get a couple when they really needed them. Um, but I think that you're going to be looking for Penn State to do that wire to wire 
um, especially even when the second teamers, the third teamers get in there. Um, I think that's a big thing to look for on Saturday at Beaver Stadium. To me, Parker Washington is somebody who who didn't make all the noise in week one. We talked a lot about Mitchell Tinsley and what he did. And quite frankly, we talked more about Drew Aller than we did about Parker Washington coming out of the Purdue matchup. To me, it seems like this, he's going to be ripe for the picking uh, against this defense. Um, and then Harrison Wallace. I mean, this is a guy that we saw him get legitimate run. Um, and it wasn't a ton of work. But when we're looking for separation in this wide receiver group, there's clearly some between the starting three Harrison Wallace, and then everyone else, uh, at least coming out of game one. And again, we want to talk about the guy who can jump out of the gym uh, among a bunch of power five athletes. What does that look like when you put him in some one-on-one matchups against Mac defenders? He's somebody I'm really circling in this game. And I think specifically if, if we don't get to see, um, you know, Theo Johnson involved um, and maybe that tight end room is limited, the wide receiver unit in general there's a lot of potential for fireworks and you want to see some of those go off over the course of this matchup. Yeah. I think this is a big game for Keandre, Keandre Lambert Smith. I mean, he, he obviously had to touchdown against Purdue and that was a great play, but he also had two drops and, and he's to the point now we, we mentioned it earlier this week that he can't do that. I mean, he has got to, to, to pick it up and, and make those catches. And you know, the, the, the thing that we've heard about him over and over and over and over again <laughs> is that he has all the physical ability, but he just doesn't have the focus all the time. Right. And and I, I think this is, you know, whatever the score of this game is, I think he's got to bounce back because the ability is there. We see it. We saw it in the Purdue game. I mean, he so to me, yeah, and it's because you have a guy like Trey Wallace who's right there. I mean, you know, and to me, I look at Mitchell Tinsley – and the way he played, I mean, he was everything as, as advertised and more. I mean, he should have had even more yards. So, uh, you know, if, if you get that third receiver, you know, whether it's Lambert Smith, whether it's Wallace, with those tight ends and those running backs, you that is going to be super dangerous. So I think this is a big game for, for Lambert Smith. Uh, it was interesting in the Purdue game that when he had those drops, they took him out of the game immediately. Like right after he had the drops. Now, they didn't keep him on the bench. He came back in. But watch for that this week when you're at Beaver Stadium. Sometimes it's very difficult to see that stuff when you're when you're watching on TV. But if a Penn State receiver drops a ball, see what happens. I mean, I think that might be a, a little new policy that they're just saying, okay, you're coming out. Think about it for a snap or two, and then we're going to get you back in there. One more note on Harrison Wallace before I throw something your way, Daniel. I, they got Auburn next week. Wouldn't it be great for Penn State to, to set the stage for that, have some hype going, have some of those local media outlets down in Alabama, down in the southeast where recruits are paying attention, have them writing about Harrison Wallace coming to town after a big game in Beaver Stadium? Wouldn't be the worst thing. And, and perception does mean a great deal. And when you get into a matchup like this, sometimes you can manipulate the perception a little bit over the course of it. So I do want to mention that you know O'Connell, who Mark just said, uh, probably is going to be one of the best quarterbacks they face all season, especially as that his supporting cast comes together and he gets a better feel for them in September and October. But they're facing a pretty solid quarterback here uh, out of the Mac. Maybe one, maybe a guy who's going to be one of the top two or three in that conference, but the secondary coming off a strong performance, they issued their opening statement. What do you see uh, from this group in this matchup? I just see a group that's going to come in very, very confident and and very ready to go. Um, I think that James Bostic does create an interesting uh, matchup just in terms of, you know, how it looks. I mean, he's listed at 
six three two thirty. Um, I think that that would be fun to see Joey Porter Jr. at six two one ninety eight um, go up against uh, you know another big bodied guy. Um, but I think you look at the the Ohio wide receivers and. You know, it's not this group from Purdue last week. Um, I think that the Penn State secondary should be in for another busy day um, with the way that Curtis Rourke throws the ball around. Um, but I think that they're in good shape. Um, I think that maybe we'll see more Marquise Wilson and Johnny Dixon um, in terms of rotating guys through. Um, you know, I don't think it'll be like last week where you're going to want or need to have uh, Porter and King on the field at all times. Um, so I think that it'll be interesting to see what Dixon, what Wilson can do in kind of some more maybe extended run uh, situations. Um, Terry Smith was very high on both of them um, when we talked to him uh, a couple weeks ago, but saw a lot of Dixon uh, against Purdue, did not see as much Marquise Wilson, um, even though they were, they were both on the field together as the outside corners. Um, at a couple of different junctures uh, in that Purdue game. But I think that I want to see how they rotate through guys, how far down the depth chart they get, because that room has a couple of freshmen in there. Cam Miller trans- or traveled out, out to Purdue but didn't play. Um, Christian Driver is someone else uh, who's listed as a cornerback and is a freshman. So I think that this group, I mean, I think that they should be licking their chops um, to get the chance to do what they did last week against Purdue and then come in against a Mac opponent this weekend. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. The wait is over. The Shy returns with new episodes on Paramount+. Plus. What brings you to the show? Opportunity. Everybody get down! Walk right up to the side. A new rain is coming to the south side. Never should have sent a boy to do a woman's job. The Shy. New episodes now streaming. Visit ParamountPlus.com slash The Shy to get a 50% discount off the Paramount Plus with the Showtime annual plan. Offer ends July 14th. The subscription auto renews. Restrictions apply. Mark, one more obvious strength I think we should get to before maybe looking at some potential issues for the Nittany Lions is, again, the athletic deficiency that Ohio is going to face, I, th- I think, across the offensive front versus Penn State's defensive front. Yeah. But I think specifically on that edge with some of the quick twitch guys, I mean, Chop Robinson, what he was able to show us in game one, full reminder, he's just now wrapping his mind around being a defensive end and committing to it. And he acknowledged it this week, very transparent and saying he can provide that pass rush presence, but he knows if he wants to be a guy who's out there every single down and can be accountable and dependent, uh, he's going to need to step it up against the run. And he's very aware of that that physical development's part of it. But I thought it was really uh, interesting to hear him open up about that. Circle him in a big way as Ohio needs to pass the ball. And Mark, Adiza Isaac, you know, what does it mean to get through that first game from a mental perspective, breaking through that barrier, and how does he kind of come out in game two? He's a guy that did some some special things on the practice field yesterday when we got a chance to watch, and I want to see if that translates over to game action. Yeah, he didn't have a great game against Purdue, and, and I think that's fine. I mean, coming back from, what was it, an Achilles, whatever it was, I mean, that is a difficult injury to come back from. And it, uh, 
I think where he is is actually a good spot. Would you like him to be operating at 110%? Yes, absolutely. But that's just not realistic. So I think getting through that Purdue game, getting that one in his back pocket was really big. And now he has multiple weeks. Uh, you know, and I keep referring to this Auburn game as not a gigantic game just because it's not a Big Ten game. I mean, that's the that's the only reason I'm saying that. But he has some some wiggle room now to slowly but surely get back uh, to where he was pre-injury. It's it's one thing, especially in this day and age when I don't do as much hitting in practice in, in preseason camp. You know, it's one thing to go through all of that stuff in 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 the, in the spring and in camp. It's another thing to be out there with everybody flying around a million miles an hour. And I think the fact that Chop played the way he did, he didn't start, but to me, he was by far their best defensive end. I think the way the, the fact that he played the way he did and the overall depth they have there are both really good things for Adisa Isaac. I also would say I wouldn't just talk about the quickness of the defensive ends. I think Penn State has some quickness at defensive tackle, especially when you're looking at guys like Beeman and Zane Durant. And that was another fun thing to watch, the way that uh, Manny Diaz and John Scott shuffled those defensive linemen based on what they were seeing, based on down and distance. So in, in long down and distance situation, they may go with a three-man front or they may go with Beeman and Durant. I mean, the, the, the mix and match options there are really good, but they have a couple of super quick defensive tackles that if Ohio gets in those long uh, down and distance situations, it's going to be an issue. It's going to be a real problem. It really is remarkable to see Zane Durant flash off that ball like he does already and i just what's that gonna look like when he's a junior it's it's i mean we've seen it on the practice field again yesterday i had to scratch my head a little bit after after one rep in particular because the lineman was essentially trying to block air before he even realized zane durant was in the backfield so i mean the expectations fellas gotta be for the tfls to pile up i don't know how long ohio is gonna hold out trying to establish a ground game and trying to make that a part of what it's gonna do each series so maybe that limits you, but once that starts getting to be drop back and 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 airing it out because you're in comeback mode, let these guys pin their ear backs and and we'll see those sack numbers. I think look very different than what may have been the hardest game Penn State will face all season against Purdue to pile up sacks because of the way Purdue approached and the way their quarterback was able to execute. All right, let's get into what may trip up Penn State along the way. And I think we've got to obviously start where we've started every single time we talk about what could hold this team back. And it's got to be up front. Referenced it a couple times in the past week. I know Daniel mentioned it and something he wrote, but that Villanova game last September stood out to a lot of us and saying, uh-oh, this is probably not going to get figured out when Big Ten play arrives. And it's probably going to be a bugaboo for this team, even as they go through early stages of the season with success. If you come out of that think, thinking that way this game, going to be a real problem going to Auburn and uh, I, I think Daniel we got to start with the fact that we now know seven offensive linemen at least are going to be involved uh, and it's fair to say uh, that we now have three guys who we can call starters one guy one spot that was really a 50-50 split last week and then one where you see the momentum moving in opposite directions for the two competitors yeah so the, the three starters would be left tackle Olu Fashionu uh, center Juice Scruggs, right guard Salim Wormley. Uh, then we had the Hunter Norzad, Landon Tangwall split at left guard. And right tackle is where things get pretty interesting. Um, Caden Wallace got the start, uh, was in there for the majority of the game, wasn't in late in the first half, and then 
uh, didn't play the, I think the final two drives after giving up um, a pretty bad sack uh, in the fourth quarter. Uh, he was replaced by Bryce Effner, um, who James Franklin said is going to play that he's, he and uh, the combination of uh, Tangle and Norzad that gives Penn state seven. Um, we saw Effner involved as the, you know, as the jumbo tight end, uh, the sixth offensive lineman uh, in some of those things. Um, his teammates uh, seemed to, to really like him uh, talking to Juice Scruggs uh, a couple weeks ago. Um, he was just kind of laughing, talking about Efner. Uh, Celine Wormley said that Efner is really funny um, and kind of makes and kind of has a quick wit uh, with, with some smart remarks. Um, so Efner is someone who has kind of, you know, I don't really like, I phrased it this way to Phil Troutwine uh, in, in August, but it wasn't really accurate, but I said he's kind of been in the background a little bit and Troutwine was like, well, he's, he's up front for us because, you know, he's, he's involved in everything, but you know, he's a depth piece that we don't usually think about um, until we see him out there. So I think he's going to be someone that's going to be really interesting to watch in terms of how much time uh, does he see at right tackle? Um, how do they kind of work that with, with Caden Wallace? Uh, you know, James Franklin was pretty public after the Purdue game that Wallace has some things to work on. Um, and then I think looking at the, guard rotation i'm interested to see how that continues to move on like you said it was pretty much a 50 50 split between norzad and tangwell left guard um last week we did see a little bit of norzad at right guard um i think for one drive so it's there are some interesting things and but the big takeaway for me is that last year we talked about it they could really only go six deep um on the offensive line that efner was always that sixth guy in whether it was left tackle, left guard, right guard, right tackle. He was always the guy in. But the way that things are set up now, they're seven. So I think that you look at that with a little bit of comfort. Um, that's kind of, I think, a step forward in terms of the development of this position group. But if they can't move Ohio off the line, if they can't open up holes for these running backs against the MAC defense, then I think we're going to have some cause for concern. We talk about this game as kind of like, all right, we can see this, uh, see this team operating at full capacity uh, against uh, what should be an inferior opponent. But like the Villanova game, there can also be, you know, a little canary in the coal mine uh, with, with certain areas of this. So, yeah, I mean, we're all going to be watching the trenches again uh, on Saturday. I can't believe Daniel just spent four minutes talking about Bryce Effner in the offensive line and did not mention his nickname. <laughs> Big I just slab. Can't, I can't believe you did that. Come on, man. <laughs> People are on here for inside info. The Big Slab. That, that is, the, is that not the best nickname on the team? <laughs> I mean, that's I think there, there's some bigger slabs, I think, in that offensive <laughs> but line. But that's what makes cut. it great. Yeah. That's what makes it so funny is that you have – you literally, you have a guy who's literally 370 pounds in Malik McNeil <laughs> and Bryce Effner, who's probably lucky if he's 295. I mean, you know, for offensive linemen, relatively speaking, <laughs> is called, called a big slab. Yeah. Listen, he's, I, listed, he's listed 286, I think, Mark, when I was writing oh, it up wow. today, which is about 40 pounds lighter than Wallace. And you see these guys stand next to each other. There is a difference. And I want to remind people, by the way, Bryce Eftner has been around since before Caden Wallace. He was in the 2018 class. Caden Wallace filed the year before. They both have eligibility through next season. Bryce Eftner can capitalize on that COVID eligibility. But 
Caden Wallace is in his third year as a starter. He was kind of shuffled around year one, but this is a guy that, that to come out of game one and we're talking about him maybe losing grips on that job, it's unfortunate in that case, but it also gives you a little bit of insight onto where Penn State is in offensive tackle cultivation right now and about how important Bryce Efter is, a guy that coming out of spring when we didn't see him, he was really out of sight, out of mind, like Daniel said. Well, going back to what Daniel said, though, in all seriousness about the depth, how many times have we seen Penn State's offensive line in recent years where they didn't have enough enough depth to make a change if somebody was struggling? I mean, I go back to Paris Palmer on that Temple game back in, what was it, 14, whenever it was, and he gave, I mean, he, he Penn State gave up 10 sacks, and they, they, they had nowhere to turn, they had nowhere to go. And we've seen that over and over. I know I'm going back. I'm going to the wayback machine there, but I think the fact that you have options is really big. And you know, we're from what we're hearing, they're very high on Drew Shelton. Don't know that he's ready to play as like a starter or a main guy now. But I'm real interest, interested to see, depending on how this game goes, do they get Drew Shelton in? I think they will if they're ahead. And I think they'll get Vega Ione in too. I think they'll get both of those kids in because both of them, uh, you know, Shelton, we're told, is just technically superior to any freshman they've had in the last few years, freshman offensive lineman in Vega. It's unbelievable. You know, I was talking to to Keith Conlon, the goon, and he was he was talking about how so many of these linemen come in at like 330, 340, and it's just bad weight and they have to take all this time to lose the weight. And you look at Vega at 330 or whatever he's listed at, my goodness. I mean, he's just built like a rock. And, and it's two really intriguing true freshman prospects that I hope we get a chance to see them uh, this weekend. But I would also say with Caden Wallace, you know, it, it's, it's kind of now or never for him, isn't it? I mean, he, he has all the tools. He has the athletic ability. He has the size. We've talked to him. He's a super intelligent guy. And I think there's just a, a, an edge that he needs to come out in these next couple games, or he's on the verge of, of, of this not working out for him. I mean, he, it's, it, this is big for him. Yeah. And I always, hate to be, I, I always hate to be critical of college players, but he's a third-year starter. He's been around a while. Uh, and it's just, again, a great kid has all the tools in the world. I can't say enough positive things about him, but when he gets into games, he has to develop that edge and play with that edge and be a dependable right tackle because he has a, he has the tools to play at the next level. He has those tools. He just has to make the most of them. A former top 100 prospect in our evaluation here at 24-7 Sports. And, and, of course, attached at the hip to the offensive line conversation, as always, is the running back room. Don't want to spend much time there because I think we all know the story. But just to reinforce it for our listeners out there, you're going to expect to see that one-to-one-to-one in the way these running backs are used, at least at the start of this matchup, based on James Franklin's comments to us. So, again, the three that were involved there last week, Kevon Lee, uh, Katron Allen, Nick Singleton, all landed between eight to 10 carries. Devin Ford did not get a carry, caught a fourth down pass. That was very important for Penn State. Um, you're going to see all four of them involved again. Uh, but guys, I, I just, again, they have to find a way. Not, they don't need to find a way to get one 100-yard rusher, but they have to find a way to cumulatively get the job done and get into the 200-yard range or somewhere abouts there, flash some big playability. Because if they come out of this thing collectively, have 104 yards and a 3.5 average, I'm raising the red flag, and, and I don't feel bad about it. 
Yeah, I mean, you're definitely right. I mean, this is the type of game where we need to see, you know, we need to see them ripping off six, seven, eight yard gains um, on first down. Um, you know, going against a Mac defense, like I've said probably a million times at this point, that should help. But I am very, very curious to see what this offensive line can do. Um, you know, maybe pay, pay a little bit closer attention uh, when the personnel changes, how that changes things up front. But yeah, I think that I think that these running backs know. I think even the even the new guys, uh, Singleton and Allen, I think that they know um, kind of how this running game has gone the past couple of years, what they need to do, what the fans are looking for, um, and how big it can just be to this team as a whole uh, for them to be, you know, not even great, but just functional or above average uh, that can go a long way this season. Yeah, I know a lot of people are saying that Penn State may err on the side of trying to run, 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 run. I don't think that would be smart. I think you want to strive for balance. And I think you might get yourself into a bit of an issue if you f- try to force the run, even against a team like Ohio. I think that'd be much better coming out of this game with 250, 300 yards passing and 175 yards rushing than they would by by just trying to grind it out, grind it out, grind it out. So that you know, my my take on this is I think we're going to see more balance, and I think that's going to help the running game for this running game to be good. Given the personnel they have. They have to. It has to be complementary with the passing game. I mean, that's that's what this boils down to. This doesn't have to be, you know, an old you know Oklahoma nineteen seventy two type team. This has to be a balanced offense. The best Penn State teams have had balanced offenses, and I think that's the key here. All right, guys, it's prediction time, and um, I'll start us off. I think they will achieve that balance, and and I'm with you. I don't think they're going to go out there and try to do some rushing game practice for sixty minutes. They're going to try to run their offense. They're not going to throw everything out of the bag and they're going to save plenty for the Auburn game and beyond, but they're going to run their offense. They're going to let Sean Clifford do his thing early. And and I expect they'll let Drew Aller do his thing later. Um, And I know by the time we get to halftime, if you haven't seen 15 yet, that'll be the talk that we're all discussing as we go hit the buffet, have some lunch and then get back to work. We'll be wondering, okay, what's Drew going to do here in the second half? I think they'll be in that position. I think they will uh, approach 600 total yards. So, uh, and I don't think they're going to get, you know, 300 off on the ground. I think it'll be more of that coming through the air. Uh, and, and I'll go 52-17. I know we're all pretty high on Penn State in this matchup. Uh, and I think they'll get a non-offensive touchdown over the course of this one. Um, a lot of guys to talk about next week because there's going to be a lot of guys playing football. And I'll just say Abdul Carter is the one guy I really am excited to see just because of what he was robbed of in, in week one with that penalty. Yeah, a lot of our, uh, a lot of our. Sorry, Daniel, for cutting you off, but we'll let you go. We'll let you wrap things up. But <laughs> a lot of the people in our prediction panel are are picking a defensive touchdown. So I think that's something that we may see. To me, I thought Penn State left uh, at least a couple of touchdowns out on the field uh, against Purdue. And, and you look at an Ohio team that gave up what was it, thirty eight points against FAU. I mean, I, I just don't know how you're going to keep Penn State from from scoring a lot of points in this game. I, ju- I just don't know how that's going to happen. If they prove me wrong, uh, they're going to prove me wrong. So I'll go with the defensive touchdown. Uh, I think you get multiple of those explosive plays that were kind of lacking in a, in a relatively easy, well, a very easy 55-14 win for Penn State. I- I think the the Penn State passing game is going to have a big day, uh, whether that's you know how that spread between Sean Clifford and Drew Aller and maybe someone else. We'll see, but 
I think that you look at what Penn State did last year um, in these early season games, Keandre Lambert-Smith, Parker Washington um, had big games against Villanova. Um, I think that you'll see something similar with kind of the, the quick strike ability that Penn State has with its receivers on the outside with Tinsley, Lambert-Smith, Washington, and then going down the depth chart to Harrison Wallace and Omari Evans. Um, I think that those two, the redshirt freshman and the freshman are two guys that are just you know, they're going to be faster than most of the players on the field, which gives them a good chance to really break things open for Penn State to score quickly and for Penn State to score often. Um, I have Penn State winning 48 to 17. Hey, Tyler, I also, yeah. I, I didn't throw out my players to watch. I I, I apologize, but I, I think I kind of touched on them earlier. I think Keandre Lambert-Smith and Caden Wallace, this is a big game for both of those guys, you know, in terms of, Listen, if they play really well, I don't know that, that that's a signal that they're they're going to be great for, for the rest of the season. But if they struggle, I think that's a real issue. So I think if you're a fan, keep an eye on both of those guys. We will be at Beaver Stadium bright and early on Saturday. I know many of our listeners will as well. It's always nice to get everyone back together in the same location. Uh, we will talk to you after the game with the post-game podcast. We're back with four new episodes for week three as we get ready for Penn State's SEC road trip. Check out all the coverage at lions247.com. Thanks again to Steve Helwick for his insight on Ohio. Thanks to our producer, Lance Glenn, and my colleagues right here, Mark Brennan, Daniel Gallen. I'm Tyler Donahue. Thanks, as always, for listening to the Lions 24-7 podcast. Every sport has their big, juicy controversy. Boxing has the Mike Tyson ear bite. Cycling has Lance Armstrong. Baseball has its steroid era. Curling has... Broomgate. It's a story of broken relationships, houses divided, corporate rivalry, and a performance-enhancing broom. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate. Available now.